in the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Benker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week as we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives about men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. Hey guys, have you all grabbed your free eBooks at SuzanneBenker.com? I always assume my podcast followers are also my email subscribers, but of course, that's not necessarily true at all. Many of you may not know that when you go to SuzanneBanker.com and join my email list, you get 100% free ebooks downloaded to your inbox immediately. So if you haven't done that, I would highly recommend doing so. I mean, who doesn't love free content? So today I'm going to talk about women who want to stay home with their baby and who have to convince their husbands that this is the right thing to do. I have been inundated with this question in one form or another over the years, and I finally am going to address it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read two emails in total here. I'm going to start with this one from Josie, who writes, Hi, Suzanne. I'm currently eight weeks into my 12-week maternity leave, and every time, I, she's, this is not her first baby, I don't think, I've cried postpartum because I don't want to leave my baby. My husband always knew that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but because my income has given us a great financial cushion, he won't let go of it easily. I'm even contemplating working a 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift so I can be home with my baby during daylight hours. Help me, please, because I'm so depressed. My husband was raised by a single working mom, and I know this has influenced his idea of women's capabilities. His mom makes 200 plus a year, and it's easy for me to see that he views me as someone with earning potential in addition to fathering his kids. So one of the things that I'm running into a fair amount is because of the whole women earning more than men, at least as much, if not more than I should say men, um, that when couples get married and the wife earns more, and I'm not saying that's the case with Josie here, but this is what made me think of this. Um, they make a decision. It just makes sense for them, for her to become the primary breadwinner. If you're just taking into account the math, this happens very often with people. So they get used to a certain lifestyle pre-kid that they, without realizing that everything's going to change after that kid comes along, everything from your feelings, your priorities, your emotions, who you become as a human, what kind of lifestyle you want. I mean, it just, it changes dramatically. And because nobody preps them for this, um, they just thinking about the math of everything. So for example, I have several, I have had several clients over the years, well, more than several, where they literally made the decision about who should stay home or at least who should be the primary breadwinner based on the math. And when it turns into a role reversal, a gender role reversal, as a result of that, the problems come down the line, not necessarily right away, because again, if they're just doing the math, it seems to make sense, but give that enough time. And what happens post kids is that our, um, biological propensity into that male and female role becomes more evident. It becomes more 
um, striking and obvious and clear. And this just keeps um, being more obvious over the years. And so what's happening is the woman's becoming a breadwinner in addition to her mothering, and she's becoming taxed by that and wasn't aware that she was going to be taxed by that post kid. And then the man um, is unhappy not being the primary breadwinner. So they want to reverse those roles down the line, but then find themselves stuck and feel like they can't. So all, all of which is to say that people are not taking into account the other factors of this whole scenario outside of the math of it. So, so how does that affect men specifically? Cause we're talking here about wives convincing their husbands that they want to stay home or whatever. We have essentially groomed men, specifically husbands and fathers who are already prone to be more focused on providing, well, to be totally focused on providing once they become father, once they have children to think about family structure solely in terms of economics. In other words, men have been just as conditioned by the massive shift in our culture away from family first and onto earnings and achievement as women have. The narrative was sold to women, but men absorbed it too. And that's why we have a generation of women who want to figure out how to stay home with their babies and have to convince their husbands to do so, even if it's just for a few years. So here's another comment. This was just on my Instagram page from a woman named Becky who writes, my husband said to be the only provider is too hard for him. And he wants me to go back to work after our baby will be one year old. It breaks my heart, but he doesn't want to understand me. He even calls me stubborn because I want to take care of the baby. Is he an exception? So I've never taken a poll to find out how many husbands today share this mindset, but I know that many do. So I'm just going to talk about this from a human nature point of view, rather than a, you know, how many men are like this or whatever. Men are naturals at responding to whatever it is that women want. So if as a group, women have insisted that motherhood is beneath them as educated women, and let's be honest, that's exactly what women have been saying for decades as a group, then men will go along with it. You know, they bought into that. They heard you. So what that, what that means is that the women who want to do things differently from the way the culture teaches, the countercultural women, if you will, the women who don't agree with that narr narrative, are going to be put in the position of having to explain why mothers and babies belong together. Because right now, many men don't get it. They thought that this is what women wanted. And so they began to make their money and relationship decisions based on this new model. So for example, they didn't worry as much about becoming a provider as their fathers did, for example, or they, um, you know, just assume that there's always going to be two incomes. So they'll make decisions, both people, but I'm just honing in on where men's heads are with this whole thing. Buying a home, for example, based on two incomes instead of one with the assumption that there will always be two incomes and that this will never change. This, all of this stuff was unheard of in the past. Obviously couples didn't have to iron out who's going to work and who's going to stay home. This has to be negotiated today alongside everything else couples have to contend with such as ge geography. That's another big one, you know, where to live. This is also something that's an added component to relationships today that didn't exist 
as much in my day, although it did affect me personally, but that's because, well, that's another conversation. But at any rate, most people certainly never before in this, um, you know, in the past 10 to 20 years has it been so pressing on couples to figure out the geography thing. That's why we have all these long distance relationships, which I am going to do a whole podcast on soon. All of this stuff makes marriage and relationships significantly harder than they should be, or not even relationships, let's just say marriage, because that's really where where it comes into play the most. But whenever the topic of moms staying home gets addressed publicly, you know, in the media, or yeah, just in the media, or even in casual conversation outside your home, the response is always framed in terms of economics. The idea being that it just isn't possible to stay home anymore, so why even discuss it? Like the idea that you'd even bring that up is is crazy. This puts women like Josie and Becky in a terrible position because they feel like they literally have no one in their corner for something that honestly everyone should be in their corner for because they're normal and right to want to take care of the babies they bring into the world. It's the people who tell them they're wrong or that it can't be done financially or that babies don't really need their mothers anyway that make these women feel like there's something wrong with them. Of course, there's nothing wrong with them. There's something wrong with our culture that it has come to this. To begin, it is simply inaccurate on its face to say that it's impossible for a mother to stay home today in the early years. And for the purpose of this episode, I'm going to stay focused on the non-school age years since that's when this decision becomes so pressing for couples. Because there are so many variables that need to be considered. For example, this will be a significantly more difficult thing to do, no question, if you live on one of the coasts. But there's a huge country between New York and California. Just to use my own story as an example, I, um, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I married a New Yorker the first time around in my 20s, married four years, no kids. And geography was a huge issue for, I guess I am going to talk about this since I mentioned it before. Um, Geography was a huge problem. And one of it, one of the reasons for that is because I didn't want to live the lifestyle of a New Yorker when we had children. He, on the other hand, grew up with a dad who commuted into the city and never had dinner with them at night. And, you know, that was just normal. But I didn't want that. And I didn't want to deal with the traffic. That was a huge component of um, our arguments, actually, is just the whole concept of sitting in traffic for hours and, and the amount of time that wasted in my life was just mind boggling to me. And to him, it was normal. In fact, he'd get very stressed out during the whole process. It's not even like he was relaxed. And I just would feel this tightness in my chest of loss of time on a daily basis. And then the stress that the, that the commuting incurred that I just couldn't wrap my brain around doing for the rest of my life. So I I didn't want to live there essentially. And he did. Um, and so I moved. I mean, I mean, well, we end up getting divorced, but I'm saying I made the choice and that wasn't the only reason, but that was a big component of it that I didn't want to live my life that way. So I, so I moved back to an area of the country where I knew it was going to be much easier to raise a family. And, and that is what happened. And, and he stayed there and did it the way he knows to do it with a woman who's from up there. And I went back to my area of the country where I did it the way I wanted to do it. Um, they, you know, did the typical, um, you know, 
the lifestyle up there that, that, that the folks do with both parents working and getting a nanny or daycare or whatever. And I had a much more simple life in the Midwest. So my point is that there are options. You can move if you have to, to make these things happen. Second, there's, there's your lifestyle to consider. What are you willing to sacrifice in exchange for being with your baby and for experiencing these years in the way they're meant to be experienced? Do you want to live stress-free? Do you want to be able to go back to sleep during the day when your baby sleeps because you've been up all night? The two of you have been up all night? Or do you want to take a shower and put on makeup and work attire when you feel half dead? Because that's the reality of it. And this in turn makes motherhood feel like a burden rather than a joy. It also dramatically then affects the marriage because the climate in the home is chaotic rather than peaceful, which clearly would lead to more conflict and much less sex. So you can see where I'm going with this. There's just all these other factors to consider when you, when you talk about this issue of staying home versus not. Finally, there's the fact that in many cases, in fact, I would say most, a second income is eaten up by childcare and work-related costs. So if couples sit down to do the math, many will discover that they're literally working. The second person is literally working just to pay someone else to raise their baby. This happens all the time. I've been hearing about this now since for 20 years, for sure, because this particular topic is what I covered 20 years ago in my first book. So um, there's, there's just no question about that, that that's, that's the case for many, 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 many families. But the number one most overlooked aspect of this conversation, in my opinion, is the overwhelming needs of children and the maternal desire most women feel yet are encouraged to downplay or even to reject. That's why I have Erica Komisar on this program so much because she's one of the few who will tell the truth. Honestly, she may be the only one in the public eye that I know of that will tell the truth about what goes on in those early years and, and why it, it's so significant. And anyone who's listening, if you don't know who that is, Erica Komisar, um, she's a psychologist. She's a psychotherapist and parent coach in New York City who's written several books and writes for the Wall Street Journal. And I've had her on this program three times. So if you want to scroll down and find her um, to hear that information, uh, you can do that. No wife should be put in the position of having to convince her husband that babies need their mothers. Yet that is where we are. The ideal answer for this conundrum, for those of you who are still single, is to simply not marry anyone with whom you have not ironed this out in advance. The work-family conversation has to be on the table during the dating stage. I can't tell you how many people that I talk to who just simply didn't cover it or made assumptions about it when it's going to become the number one factor of your marriage, in today's world anyway. Not 30 years ago, but today. So for example, when I met my husband, I mean, I guarantee you, I can't remember the details of it, but within the first couple of dates, he was very clear about what my goals were with respect to, to, be, to how I was going to structure a family, how I wanted to structure a family. Of course, it didn't hurt that, he, you know, he was learning about my divorce and 
that conversation about the divorce obviously uh, naturally led into this conversation about work and family. But even if you don't have that to discuss, you you still have to work it into the conversation. And I often think, I mean, what else are you doing in the dating stage besides figuring out what each person is about and what their goals are and what they want out of life and what they didn't like about their upbringing and all of that. I mean, that to me, that's just what you're doing during the dating stage. So I'm always really surprised at the number of people who don't cover this. But at any rate, you need to cover it. You need to get that out of the way right, right away. Because if the other person's views don't match yours, you can just move on to the next one, not get so far in. Okay, so that's for people who are still single. But if you miss the boat on this, or if you thought you covered it, but your circumstances have changed, I'm going to give you three arguments for convincing your husband that you're staying home is smart. These are the three strongest ones I could come up with um, that I think will be very effective. Okay, you ready? Number one, money. Most men are going to be more responsive to a conversation about the math of this whole thing because that's how their brains work. You know, show them the numbers, show it to him on paper. He will get his head around that. So that's your number one thing, money. For most couples, it is more financially advantageous than people realize for mom to stay home during the early years than it is for both parents to work. Because again, as I said, there's all these variables. How old are the kids? How many do you have? Are you talking part-time or full-time? What's the cost of living where you live? Do you have to commute or do you work from home? Every circumstance is going to be different. But typically speaking, both parents would have to make close to six figures for it to come out in the wash if we're talking strictly math. Just the math of this now. I'm not talking about anything else but numbers here. I also want to quickly note that we have the highest personal savings rate in this country since World War II as a result of COVID. That was just in the Wall Street Journal today, which I'm only mentioning because it proves how we can change our circumstances when we want to or when we're forced to, when we have to. Unless you're at the poverty line, all of our lives are pretty much a result of the choices we've made, and that includes our finances. We're never really stuck. It's more just about how we choose to live. So here's how to talk your here's how to talk to your husband about the math of this. You're going to cover the hidden costs of both parents working. And I came up with five of those. Well, one's one's not so hidden, but the others are. So the number one most obvious, of course, is the childcare costs. You need to put out on paper what your salary is, what his salary is literally crunch those numbers and put down what the child care costs are. And then I'm going to give you these other things that are the, that are the hidden costs. And basically you're going to put all this on a big, big piece of big piece of paper, but you're going to start with the child care costs because that's going to be really glaring. Unless you make six figures, it's going to be glaring. So that's the first thing at the top of your list. And then here, are the, so that's the obvious one. Then here are the hidden ones. There's the, a new world that we live in today that didn't exist even 20 years ago. Well, it did somewhat, but it was more, it was less so when I was, when I had small children eating out. 
and using convenience foods or ready-made foods or pickup foods or whatever you want to call it versus cooking at home. So I find this so funny because it was, I mean, it's every mother, right? Every family until very recently um, has had somebody, usually mom, in the kitchen cooking the food. And we have so gotten away from that to the point where it's just not even considered an option almost. Like I remember cooking, you know, I was cooking, I cooked, I was home with my kids. I cooked. I mean, that's what you do when you're home. And I remember people, even a few people then just being like, oh, that's so like you cook. (laughs) I thought, well, I mean, what else are you going to do if you're here and you're living on one income? It's just obvious. Um, And today, you know, fast forward 20 years, it's even more, it's apparently even more archaic to be in the kitchen cooking, but that's how you save the money. That's an example of, I mean, if you put your grocery bill as two working parents on paper with that childcare cost, I'm telling you, you'll be, your husband will be blown away. If your argument is that you can make most of the meals at home, thus saving money, that's inarguable. I mean, he's not going to be able to say anything against that because that's unquestionably true. And I can say that as somebody who's been both home for years and then who's no longer home and who's um, seen the, the math of that. And there's no question that the more I work, the less I cook. In fact, my husband has started to take over now, finally, after 20 years. It's kind of fun since we're empty nesters. Um, but the whole the whole circumstances have changed today for us. But there's no way we could live the way we're living right now 20 years ago. So I can see the differences very clearly. Three, transportation. Transportation. Do you need to commute? Can you save on commuting? What kind of job do you have that, you know, how far are you from your work? And not just the commuting, but not just how far do you have to commute, but also what kind of car are you driving? Um, I mean, I drive a much nicer car today than I did when my when my kids were little. There's just no question about it. Um, and th- though if, you know, again, put that on paper, what is your payment every month for the car? And can we get rid of that and get a smaller car or a cheaper car or whatever the case may be? So that's three. So that's childcare costs, the eating out versus cooking at home, transportation, and then entertainment, entertainment. Once again, my husband and I do a lot more on that. We spend a lot more in that department than we ever did when our kids were little. In fact, if anything, we ended up having people over a lot. So that that's something that people have gotten away from is doing things at home and having your friends over, you know, with or and without kids, you know, entertaining in general and home is always cheaper than going out. Um, there's just so many ways to live differently during those years to make it work. So you, you just have to show that to them and explain it to them and put it on paper. And then a fifth thing I thought of, which is kind of a smaller issue, but it adds up and that's clothing, the kind of clothing that you're going to need, um, you know, to be home with kids versus going to work is a lot cheaper. So there's that. So childcare costs, eating out versus cooking at home, transportation, entertainment, and clothing. So those are the main costs associated with both parents working. The one at the top is the biggest and most obvious and the others are more hidden but I'm, I'm confident that if you're putting all that on paper and you're talking about this strictly from just a math perspective, that's going to hit home for him. Okay. So that's number one, money, the math of the whole thing. Number two, 
the physical and emotional health of your family. These are other hidden things that people don't talk about with respect to the family structure of one income versus two. When you don't have both parents working full time and year round, you the the you're gonna ha- you're gonna have time as a mom to do the things for your health that you need to do, like work out, eat right, not be stressed out all the time. So your physical and emotional health is just going to be considerably better when you're doing this, when you're focused on this one thing than if you're attempting this other ridiculously crazy life of trying to throw in a full-time job on top of caring for babies. So time at the end of the day is really what women are up against. You know, you'll hear feminists in the media talk about, you know, men not doing what they need to do and the, and the, and the government not employers, you know, they're all not doing what they need to do to help women be successful at this, but that's all crap. It's, that's not the issue. The issue is time. There's nothing that anybody can do to fix this. Motherhood and work will always conflict, especially in the early years, but I would say in general, always there, you can't fix it. You can only manage it. And the culprit, the, 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 the thing that's causing the problem for women is time. It's time. So if you remove one of those equations, I mean, if you removed something from the equation, you're going to end up with time, the time you need to do this right and well and to take care of yourself physically and emotionally. Um, I remember, here. here's another example of a hidden advantage. I remember for years I was able to go to Target, which I lived at Target during those years, at 1 p.m. or Let's see. I'm trying to think about nap time. I think nap time was at 1 p.m. So maybe 3 p.m. Um, or really quickly at, you know, in the morning when they woke up or whatever. But I could go to Target during the week on a weekday the whole time. And I remember being very, very grateful for not having to go on the weekend on a Saturday with the rest of the world and what that was doing for my sanity, for my sanity, for my it's not just my health, my physical and emotional health, but my children's and my husband's, like the whole family benefits from these little small ways in which you're living your life that nobody ever talks about. So if you just sort of picture a chaotic Saturday of trying to do all this stuff and the stress, I mean, the massive amount of stress that you're incurring is absolutely coming into your home. Absolutely. And it's affecting everything. Having dinner on the table instead of pickup food, being able to cook and get dinner on the table because you have time during the day to make that happen instead of grabbing food all the time, which is less healthy and a lot more expensive. And then probably the biggest ones I probably should have started with this is well-rested children versus sleep-deprived children. And anyone who's a parent knows the massive difference between a well-rested child and a sleep-deprived one. It is, honestly, it's hell. It's hell to be with sleep-deprived children. The behavior is out of control. They can't help it. You can't get mad at them and yell at them because they can't help it. It's a physical reaction to not having enough sleep. So it's your job as a parent to be to make sure that they are 100% well-rested and get the sleep that they need in order for them to not only be healthy, 
But in order for you to respond to them properly and not, you know, have it turn into a big conflict, which it will if they're if they're sleep deprived. I mean, I'll never forget it. It's 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 probably the worst part of the early years. And I was really anal about it. I'm a sleep Nazi. Um, so I didn't have a lot of behavior. I didn't really have behavior problems related to sleep because I didn't really ever let them not get the sleep they need. But in order to do that, you have to physically be there to make sure it happens. And it's just, you have to be extremely vigilant. And a lot of people just aren't going to do that. But okay, then the trade-off, this is an example of what I mean by the climate in your home and the lifestyle you're leading is affecting the home and the marriage and you. So the physical and emotional health of your family is being directly affected in ways that we just never talk about. And then of course, the final one on this physical and emotional health category is the needs of children. This, this, this will probably be one of the, one of your biggest arguments that will be news to him because he doesn't know this. Why would he? A lot of women don't, most women don't know it. Again, this is why I have Erica Komisar on the program so much. The early years and what goes on in those years. That emotional security and emotional resilience is literally developed during these years and will carry them with, carry with your child through life. Be carried with. How do I say that? And because we're not allowed to talk about that because it's not politically convenient, your husband likely has no clue. So grab the book by Erica Komisar. Grab the the podcast I've done with her. Help him understand what's actually occurring in those early years. That's going to be probably, like, I know the math is going to work for the argument. I'm not worried about that. And I think these hidden hidden things that he's not thinking of related to the physical and emotional health of your family will also be effective. But this one is, is just a big one because it's education. It's something he very likely does not know. So again, if you're looking for that information, you can find several podcasts where I talk about the um, emotional needs of babies and what goes on during those early years in my previous conversations with Erica Komisar. So that's the second one. So just to recap again, money, number one, or the math of it all, the physical and emotional health of your family is the second one. And the third one will hit home. More sex. You're going to have more sex. Look, I've covered this before. You know, there's no way for a woman to be sexually, as sexually engaged and or interested post-kid as she was pre-kid if she's stressed out all the time. There's, it's just not going to happen. Women don't have sex on a dime the way that men do. They need to be warmed up. They need things to be just so, and they need to be stress-free. There's no way they're going to go from stress mode to, okay, let's do it you know, in in a heartbeat. So you are going to create this stress-free household of not being burned out, which gives you more time to take care of yourself, more time to be well-rested, more time to be ready and available to continue the relationship that you had with your husband, sexually I'm talking about, pre-kid, after the fact. I, I cannot even think of a man who's not going to just be um, okay. <laughs> right. 
um, you have to be very convincing and, um, you know, mean it. It's not a, you know, it's not a game. I mean, you have, this is true. This is, I'm not just making this up. You really will feel more um, interested in that and more available if you're not stressed out all the time. The second aspect of the sex thing, or the sex argument, I should say, is that you're not going to end up playing tit for tat or fight about whose job is going to take precedent precedence or who's going to do the dishes today. You know, all that stuff that goes on with two people who are working full time and year round and have babies and toddlers at home, their lives, I mean, their relationship is all is extremely competitive by nature. It can't not be because they're not working in tandem. They're not working in a complementary fashion. They're essentially competing with each other for, for who, you know, like I said, whose job's going to take precedence and who's doing what on the home front that's, you know, in, in terms of fairness, they're obsessed with fairness. And all of this stuff means essentially fighting with your husband, you know, you're having conflict. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Men hate fighting with women. They have zero interest in it. They love sex and they hate fighting with you. So there's no way that this is not going to land when you're making your arguments. So let's recap that again. Your three arguments for convincing your husband that staying home is smart and the right thing to do is money, physical and emotional health of your family, and more sex. And when you, I would, I would suggest listening to this podcast, or at least the second half of the podcast, several times and getting this clear in your head and then presenting it to him. And I would be shocked if that did not um, work out in your favor. So there you have it. I hope Josie and Becky are listening and that this helps them as well as all the other women who are listening and who might be in a similar boat. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Banker show. As always, please share this episode with at least one friend you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, the best way to reach me is Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.